All right, let's continue our study in James chapter 5. I want to review the arguments, finish up our study of the oil, and then we'll take some of your thoughts here as we, we work through this. So we're in James chapter 5, examining verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I'm proposing this thesis to help us think through this text that James is not addressing physical sickness, but rather spiritual weakness. Therefore, he calls for spiritual leaders to implement spiritual measures to bring about a spiritual restoration. So we covered eight arguments. Let me just touch on them briefly. Number one was the actual word meanings. So the word sick in verse 14 is overwhelmingly used in the gospel accounts as physical sickness, overwhelmingly used in the letters to the church as weakness, um, a spiritual weakness, a weakness of faith. Then the word sick in verse 15 is only used two other times in the New Testament, and both of those are translated there as weary or weak. So the root of both words for sick is actually weakness, and that just sets us on a study of why would we choose in the English translation sick instead of weak. The second argument was based on the series of three different responses in James 5, 13, and 14. If anyone is suffering, let him pray. The second, if anyone is cheerful, let him sing praise. The third, if anyone is weak in faith, let him call for the elders of the church. Third argument is the overall context of James' letter. James is writing to encourage Christians to press on toward mature faith, to show their faith by their works, to have faith in trials and temptations. Uh, And so when we look at the context of the letter, a theme of faith seems to fit better. The fourth argument was the New Testament teaching on sickness. God is not always, it's not always God's will for us to be physically healthy, but it is God's will for us to be spiritually healthy, to have strong faith, to grow in our faith. Uh, And so he exhorts us to help one another in our faith. He rebuked the disciples Uh, because they weren't cooperating with the agenda God had when he said, oh, ye of little faith. You can't stay there. You have to improve. We know what God's will is in regards to faith. Number five uh, was really examining our, our paragraph here, and the argument is that of staying on a spiritual plane rather than jumping back and forth between spiritual and physical. Uh, If any among you is sick, if we take that to be physical, then we jump to spiritual, have the elders pray, back to physical, anoint with oil, back to spiritual, a prayer of faith, back to physical, save the sick, back to spiritual, sins are forgiven. And it's a little bit of an interpretive roller coaster. Now, if that's the meaning of the text, then we ride the roller coaster. That's how we come to the Bible. We let it dictate even our uh, response. Um, However, we're trying to decide which words are steering our interpretation. Are we indeed, by the text, supposed to get on that roller coaster, or is that roller coaster of meaning showing us maybe we're not interpreting the text properly? So that spiritual plane uh, is helpful in understanding perhaps what's going on. Argument number six was based on a consistent view of certain outcomes. There in the text of verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Uh, We want to be careful we don't kind of hedge the certainty of these words. So if these things are certain, then how is it we we can be assured in verse 15 that this prayer of faith will save the one who is sick if we're talking about spiritual weakness or or physical weakness, uh, and we already know the New Testament teaching on physical weakness or sickness in the Bible shows us God's will is not always to to restore. 
Um, so we, we wrestle with those certain outcomes to make sure that we're not obviously caving into a prosperity gospel, guaranteeing that God's will is for you to always be healthy, um, but nor do we want to do an injustice to the text as faith can certainly bring about God's healing. Uh, added to argument six was number seven, and that highlights the phrase, in the name of the Lord. Uh, we should be able to invoke the name of the Lord with certainty. Uh, and if that is happening in the text, again, then one thing we can be certain of is uh, God's will regarding the spiritual health and faith of his people. And then argument eight was just examining the care that we have for one another or shepherding care specifically as they're called to uh, bring in the elders. And when we look at elder care, shepherding care, uh, we recognize commands like 1 Thessalonians 5, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So that faintness and weakness are similar words to our text, and yet clearly this is a spiritual exercise by the church. And when we look at the pattern of Psalm 23, we see that this is what the good shepherd does for us when he restores our soul. So those arguments all have to be at least on the table as we're looking at a text trying to figure out what does it mean. And remember, it means only one thing. It doesn't mean one thing to me and one thing to you. One of us would be wrong if we thought it meant different things. And that happens. And that's in, in matters such as this text, um, that's okay even in the church for people to be wrestling with the meaning and come to a different conclusion. doesn't mean everybody's right. It simply means at least for now everybody's wrestling to figure out what it means. Now, if we were wrestling to figure out whether Jesus was God or not, or whether he rose from the dead, we'd have a bigger conflict. Uh, unity would be impossible then. Um, but on these matters, when we're trying to uh, wrestle with matters of Scripture that aren't core to the, the, the gospel itself, core to the orthodox Christian faith, then we, we can kind of relax a little bit here and recognize people in our church may view this differently, other Solid Bible preaching churches may do this differently. Um, so we, we don't have to be alarmed. We're, we're putting all these arguments on the table for this one passage that maybe you haven't ever really thought about. Um, and we're just being reminded that there is a science of interpretation. There is a toolbox to which we go when we're trying to figure out what does the Bible say here. If we were to take this thesis that I've laid out to you, that this is spiritual weakness of faith and not physical sickness, then th there's a reckoning that has to be had regarding the anointing with oil. And so let's consider a few options there. In review, one would be a ritualistic view of this anointing with oil, uh, and that's the Roman Catholic position of extreme unction, anointing the sick, typically administered to those who are dying. There would be a medicinal view uh, that this oil must have healing properties. Um, Luke chapter, Luke chapter, wherever the Good Samaritan story is, um, he comes to the, the man that was beat up and it says he pours oil onto the wounds and binds them up, and then he takes, them, takes the man to the inn. So seeing that kind of use of oil, it seemed like there was a medicinal value to it, and so some would interpret this oil as still being some kind of uh, medicinal help. There was the cultural view, that sign of refreshment and renewal. Uh, we might think of it as, you know, after being sick for a while, you shower, you freshen up, comb your hair, and, and you actually kind of look presentable again. Um, now we come to perhaps what, what is the majority view in, uh, in Protestant evangelical churches, and that would be probably what we would call some kind of symbolic view, that we would actually use real oil to anoint somebody who is sick, but we would do it as an expression of faith. We're not necessarily believing it has medicinal value. Uh, we're not doing it um, 
as, as some guaranteed sign of healing. It's def- we're not thinking extreme unction with the Catholic Church. Um, but it's simply this, uh, you boil it all down and they just say, well, God said to do it, so we're going to do it. And we're going to trust that it's his means for us to express our faith. Um, so many of you that um, raised your hands last time that said you've, you've seen this done or you know it was done in your churches, um, if you would ask, why did we do that? They would come to this text and, and they might say, well, it just says that this is what they do. They anoint with oil. And so we do it as a sign of our faith in what God has said here. Um, and in a sense that, you know, that works. It's, it's just taking it as what it says and saying, well, if God says that, I might not understand why or what or how, but I'm going to do it. There's a simplicity of faith there that along with our toolbox of interpretive tools and techniques, we have to have childlike faith. So that position, it's hard to take up stones and say, oh, they just haven't thought this through enough. Uh, But I would say they still have to come to the text and then say, well, what do you think it means to be sick and what healing is going to come about from this? Um, So... Even defining the oil this way as just a simple obedience, I'm just going to take God at his word and do it, doesn't solve all the interpretive questions. It just reminds us there does need to be faith here. Roy? It is not an argument against your position, but I think of those who raised their hands the last week, having seen it done, there were some notable miracles observed. I know in my own father... Uh, years later, after being raised from a very harsh sickbed, the man didn't stay in bed in the daytime ever. A doctor asked him if he had a, a herniated disc, and he he came back and thought that this was it. So there does seem to be some common reward for faith that is that simple without a whole lot. Whether you are right or wrong, right. we have seen I, I know, I think Don has the same experience of having seen God do something in, re, in response to that childlike obedience. Right. Now, yes, and this brings us back, if you weren't here last week, we started with an understanding of the Bible's teaching that God heals. Um, and he uses his healing power and uh, his healing promise to both physically heal, and then to spiritually heal. So in the Psalms, we would, he, we would read that, you know, he heals all our infirmities and he saves us from all our iniquities. And, and we realize, well, what, what's the promise? Well, ultimately, that our souls would be well, that we would be with God forever and we would be given spiritual life and health by the forgiveness of sins. And yet, God is also the God who created these bodies out of the dust of the ground and has in Old and New Testaments manifested his power, his presence, his promise in physical healing. So we do need to be reminded of that. Um, Now, in the argument of how do we interpret, somebody could tell Roy, well, that's anecdotal. Um, That's just a story. However, the Bible records those kind of stories for us. Uh, I'll mention that even in the sermon this morning, that John tells us there's a reason for him recording the stories of healings they saw. They were signs confirming the power of God. And we're not saying that God doesn't still heal. Um, We're not saying God can't intervene in those miraculous ways, whether it's by this process of anointing oil or just, you know, the stories we'll never hear of where somebody prayed and sought God, and he chose to answer their prayer in that way for whatever reason he chose. Um, so hear these stories and or take your own account and let that kind of sit on you because, because if, if that's how God chose to act, then we should recognize that. Um, but in a sense, we, we don't want to take just our experience and say, well, that must mean that this text means this because of something I experienced. Um, our personal experience isn't one of the tools in the toolbox. Our personal experience 
finds its weight when we realize the Bible has used personal experiences as well in the biblical record. And so I don't have to say my experience is worthless or meaningless. It's just hard to leverage against somebody when they are looking at their Bible. So your experience should sound something like the biblical record. Um, and even then, somebody might say, I, I hear what you're saying, but I, you know, I wasn't there for that. I, I'm trying to see what the Bible says. And, and you don't have to think, oh, they're a skeptic. You just have to say, okay, well, they're going to the source of God's revelation. Um, they didn't walk through what you walked through. So there's no real conflict even. Um, you just have this added blessing of seeing God work in a certain way, and yet you should also be saying, but you're right, the scriptures will resolve this for us, we, we, and the scriptures tell us God heals. Um, so, Rory, what else? I think that you also said, just to restate it, and, and, uh, that if someone had that opinion of desiring the elders to come and pray and anoint with oil, that you would do that. Right, yeah, we'll... we'll talk about a few of those kind of applications. What does this look like when a church could have a lot of different folks, you know, wrestling with texts and coming to slightly different conclusions? Um, again, searching the scriptures to see if it's so becomes our unity, not necessarily uh, our level of understanding, growth, interpretation, or outside of that application. Is the blessing of little children ordinance in the church? Is healing an ordinance in the church? Are they ordinances? Uh, I, I would probably stick with the historical Protestant position and say they only define two ordinances of the church, things that Christ specifically said, these are things you should continue to do um, as like a formal ordinance, a command. Um, should we, should we bless when he tells us to bless one another, bless the children? You know, I, I think, I think so. I think we're agreeing with God then on, on those things. Uh, but it may not be the, uh, the ordained command for the corporate church universal to practice those things like on a liturgical schedule. Well, if we're trying to get, get it right, does it matter what the corporate? <laughs> uh, I think it would just, the corporate nature comes down to even the use of the word ordinance. Why do we, why do we call the Lord's Supper an ordinance and say all churches should do that by definition of the church? Whereas some of those instructions to to bless or to, well, you could go through almost the one another's, they almost fall more to an individual Christian life on how I live and how I, um, how I treat people. It's not as though the, the church is defined by if you're not corporately, and you're in that instant, you know, blessing the little children, then you're not a church. Uh, you're not doing what Christ said the church should do as a body. Um, if we fail to encourage one another, are we no longer the church? Well, no, that's probably a, an individual problem. I need to be more encouraging and obey the commands of Scripture, but I, I don't think that would threaten defining the body as would saying we're not going to do the Lord's Supper or we're not going to baptize people. Um, yeah. Think on that and see if that works. There might be other ways to talk that through. So we're on what is likely the majority view. It says to anoint with oil. Let's do that in the simple faith. And, and again, it's not saying that people that do this are prosperity gospel demanding that this means automatic healing. Um, that's a reckoning that has to come with the text then, and they have to back up and say, okay, the text doesn't actually mean the prayer of faith will indeed save the sick. It just means it might save them. Um, I've, not, I've not met those who would anoint with oil and say it automatically means this is the guarantee of healing. Um, that, I'm certain that's out there, um, but I don't think you have to be afraid that if somebody says, I'm just going to take it on faith that this is what I do, that they're demanding healing. Um, 
just don't jump to those conclusions. Ask questions, and you'll probably find people are just trying to do what God said. Um, and so this doesn't have to be confrontational. Like, the next time you hear this, like, you don't have to have alarms going off, like, who are these people and what are they doing? Um, it, it, we're trying to keep it simple at the same time realizing there are complexities to interpreting Scripture. Where does the, uh, uh, you've mentioned several uh, standard uh, views, but then you go to the charismatics who do not do the actual oil anointing, but would claim the promise of health based on faith, based on uh, laying on of hands, for instance. Well, I think they would, if they were looking at this text, I'm sure they would lean hard on, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Um, and they might, they may use oil too. I, I just do not know this again in both our realm of very conservative practice and oil anointing. Uh, that's outside of my experience already, let alone how a more charismatic crowd. I, I don't, I don't think they would shun using oil. Um, some do. Okay. And, uh, and then their prayer of <coughs> for whatever reason, I think they get to the point where they say, if God wills. Although they won't, won't say that in I'm their prayers. Because you know, they have to, or that will blame the person that's receiving the prayer sure. that your faith was not adequate to bring the healing. Right. Or it's still contingent on the person uh, being prayed for to have the appropriate faith right. in order to be healed. I don't think it's uncharitable to say that generally the conclusion of an unsuccessful healing in the charismatic world is the lack of faith being assigned to the person who was praying. Um, well, even the Bible shows that Paul was not healed, but we know right. that he had adequate faith. Right. So that's, you know. God right. will be done. So let's look at the, the last option of... Uh, how, how people can view this anointing with oil. Um, so these, these five views, if you, if you studied this on your own, you'd come across them in maybe three, four, five views. But the ritualistic view, medicinal view, cultural view, symbolic view, which is simple faith. Uh, oil is a symbol of our simple faith. We do it. Uh, this last one would be called the metaphoric view. A spiritual reality, God doing something spiritually for the person expressed in physical terms. Um, Now, James has been called the Proverbs of the New Testament uh, because of its wisdom, because of its, um, at times, kind of shotgun approach, pithy statements. There's a lot of quotable verses in James, we would say. Um, But that Old Testament reference is helpful because even in this text, we're reminded if we're familiar with the Old Testament, the language of oil uh, wouldn't maybe confuse us quite as much. Uh, Psalm 45, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, therefore God... Your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So this is one of those messianic passages where God is doing something for God. Uh, We'll have one of them in our service this morning as well from Acts 2. Um, Therefore God, your God, speaking to the Messiah, has anointed you with the oil of gladness. So oil's metaphoric here. There's You know, you could pour oil over someone, uh, anointing them as king or for healing, and that oil would run down over them. And but the text is saying, no, it's as if gladness, this this peace and this gladness came over them. Uh, Isaiah sixty-one to grant to those who mourn in Zion, speaking of the coming Messiah, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of sorrow the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Here we see the oil of gladness instead of sorrow, the garment of praise instead of spiritual weakness. 
And it's as if James was hearkening to Isaiah's prophecy that when Christ comes and establishes redemption and the new covenant, there is going to be this, this transformation where, where sorrow and, and weakness is gone because of this anointing of the Spirit. Gladness instead of sorrow, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Isaiah chapter 1, hear how God uses oil. Speaking to the Israelites, um, God's threat is that of judgment if they don't turn their hearts to him. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. What's interesting that in Isaiah chapter 1, God is not speaking at all of their physical diseases. He's going to go on to communicate. This is the description of their spiritual condition. And the remedy for that spiritual condition of raw wounds is oil. But that's the metaphor for the healing that they need that comes from God. Um, Jeremiah chapter 8. I thought of this one um, actually from the words of a song. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 18. Jeremiah is grieving over the people of Israel, my joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick within me. Behold, the cry of the daughter of my people from the length and breadth of the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and with their foreign idols, says the Lord? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart for the wound of my, the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn and dismay. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? As Jeremiah laments the sin of Israel, he describes it as this wound. And he asks the question that has always been interpreted as a messianic hope. Is there not a balm in Gilead? Is there not an ointment that can solve this faintness, this weakness of heart in the people of Israel? Later in Jeremiah 30, For thus says the Lord, your heart is incurable and your wound is grievous. There is none to uphold your cause, no medicine for your wound, no healing for you. He goes on to say then, as after that judgment, there's the hope of mercy. God says, for I will restore health to you and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord. But again, when you read the whole paragraph, you realize he's never switched from the sinfulness of his people to their physical condition. But all that language of wounding and sores and sickness was actually their spiritual condition that is met with the healing that comes from the Lord. So an Old Testament foundation of understanding God's metaphoric use of oil for the restoration of the faint, the sick, or the wounded um, is helpful then in at least, again, bringing Old Testament use of this metaphor of oil to the table in trying to interpret James in saying, anoint with oil. Another aspect of interpreting this oil Anointing with oil. We, we now focus on this idea of anointing. I could probably ask most of you, if, if any of you have been anointed with oil. Um, again, when I presented this to the pastor's uh, session that I'm a part of, um, there's Reformed, Baptist, Independents, Bible Church, Presbyterians of all stripes. Um, that's probably most of them. Uh, and no one there, um, and most of them, uh, many of them, had seen or been a part of some kind of anointing with oil. No one there did anything other than uh, use a small vial of oil uh, to touch in a few places. 
which is purely the pattern of Rome, mind you, uh, has nothing to do with the biblical's definition of anointing. Um, the anointing of this word in James in both Old and New Testaments is, is a pouring out, much like we've studied of the Holy Spirit. Um, so we think of Psalm 133, where there's an anointing with oil and it runs down over the head and beard and onto the robes of the priesthood. We could see that in Exodus. Uh, it's used in Mark for pouring out the vial and it covers the feet and, and is rubbed in like a, like a lotion. Um, or the, the women use it in John 12, or Mark 16 rather, for the covering of the whole body of the deceased master, Jesus. Um, so there's nothing minimalistic about the word anointing with oil, and yet the only thing we see uh, in the use of anointing with oil is extremely minimalistic. Um, now, is that ultimately problematic? No. Um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think there would, could really be a right or wrong when it's not medicinal. Um, but it begs the question, could this be interpreted then as a metaphor for something that is more encompassing than what is pictured in just a few dabs or fingertip touches of oil. The lavish use of anointing with oil is probably better seen in the surrounding pastoral care of a metaphoric interpretation of oil than in the more minimalist dabbing of oil in the symbolic interpretation. So looking at anointing with oil, even that physical sounding expression finds incredible foundation for metaphoric use in Old Testament. And even adding New Testament interpretation, it should be a lavish anointing. If this was truly done in simple faith to obedience to the text, you could take your quart of oil and empty it out on somebody, uh, picturing the lavish care of God's promise, perhaps, and of his healing ability, of his encompassing love, of his benevolent purpose. Um, I would argue that if we kept it spiritual, and this is metaphoric, then we have the hope of looking at the oil of gladness. We have oil running down over one as that surrounding care, that's why you call the spiritual leaders of the church. Your faith needs to be bolstered. It needs to be surrounded in truth. So James chapter 5, I think if we wrestle through this text, we're going we're gonna to learn much about interpretation, and we're going to be forced ultimately to, to kind of take some kind of position based on our study so far. So there we sit, having looked at all these nuts and bolts of a text that ultimately really is anchored not in anointing with oil, not in elder care, uh, not in whether you're sick or healthy, but ultimately the paragraph is about prayer. Uh, if you read on, you see that's how this paragraph is themed. It, it fits with James's emphasis on faith. Here's this prayer of faith. He's going to go on to reference the prophet and his prayer and how effective it was. And prayer is effectual as it is in its exercise or its working. Uh, this is how God chooses to accomplish his will through the prayers of his people. So that's really the focus of the text. Yet we've been, you know, doing nuts and bolts trying to really get down to how does truth flow out of this text. So I don't want us to get lost in the nuts and bolts. But as we said at the start, I wanted this to be an exercise in it takes work to study the Bible sometimes, uh, and that's okay. Uh, it should be rightly divided. God breathed it out, and it meant something to his people, and it has that same meaning today. And we're just trying to figure out what that meaning is so that we can apply it to our lives. So now we get to a few closing comments, because what if somebody in this room gets sick this week and thinks, we just studied that passage. I think it means this. What do we do? Well, just remember, all of us, that not every passage in the Bible is quite this challenging. 
uh, may not have the translation questions. So much of the Bible, a vast majority of it, has no translation question at all. Uh, once in a while, there's words like this where we're like, man, that's the right Greek word. We're, we're confident of that in, in the history of the Bible, but we're just not sure which English nuance to use. Sick or weak sets us on different trajectories. Uh, there's a lot of Roman influence here. There's a lot of long-standing tradition, even in the Protestant church. Um, there's a lot of Old Testament metaphor, which often confuses us. Uh, even in Acts chapter 2, when Peter's talking about darkening skies and all these cataclysmic-sounding things, what do we do in our modern American mind? We jump to, oh, this must be eschatology and end times because we forget that all that language was used all the time by the prophets to describe events where God intervened. It's not always the last days because of some Revelation movie we've watched. So not every text is this challenging. This is not an essential matter of unity among church members. This is not even an essential matter of unity among church elders. Uh, This is purely something that can be wrestled with uh, at the most personal level and based on your study so far, which is how we should always couch our positions, um, this is what I think I should do. Uh, I'll keep studying, but until then, maybe you say, I'm going to take the simple faith view and anoint with physical oil. And you know what? Then it's kind of do whatever. Like, Bible doesn't tell us what kind of oil you know, it doesn't have to be from Jerusalem. It doesn't have to be olive oil. I wouldn't suggest, you know, 5W40 or 20 or 30. I don't know. Um, but the Bible doesn't tell us. I think from the Bible, we could kind of glean that it's, you know, just good old natural oil. Um, how much? It looks like it should be lavish, but you know what? It, I... I I'm not going to argue with somebody on dabbing oil. Um, because if I were asked to do it, I'd probably feel a little awkward just pouring it all over somebody and, you know, and it's running down all over them. And doctors and nurses are asking me what I've just done. And uh, so, listen, I, I, I'm just telling you, if you're going to take your interpretation, then there, there is some freedom in the application where you, you don't overthink this and don't be as concerned about what others think. Just... Do what you think is right, uh-oh, uh, according to Scripture. <laughs> uh, one last thought, and then we'll take input. Um, as Roy said, I, I think right now if somebody asked me to anoint them with oil because they believe this text called for that as a physical expression of their spiritual faith in God's Word, um, I think with a few questions I could cooperate with their faith. If I knew they weren't doing this leaning in that prosperity gospel thing that if this happens, it's the magic potion and I'll be healed. Um, but if it's in simple faith, trusting God with whatever outcome, I could cooperate with that faith. That, that, that's just uh, not a, a, a challenging task. Um, Arthur Pink said of those who debated this very passage, quote, that it was easier to refute the arguments of their opponents than to establish their own position. Uh, which is often the case in these Bible positions. Um, But I would also say that's not always wrong. Um, There have been many times in in my theological journey where having read a a really good argument, I'm like, oh man, I think I'm this right here. (laughs) And then reading other arguments, you realize, oh, okay, I see the weakness of that point. I think I'm more here. Um, And then eventually you start synthesizing and you realize, Different people have some good perspectives, and it's good to hear that. So you might be sitting there thinking, this guy's nuts. Like, it, it, you just pour the oil on. Um, well, just, just think it through and see if there's any, anything that can be added to your position. Um, and even now, like, if you want to ask a question or, or uh, offer some input, don't feel like you're threatening me and my position. Uh, I'm, I'm holding this somewhat loosely still, uh, waiting for it to solidify. Um, uh, so uh, kind of fire away with your input or questions now and uh, without apology, okay? Don't feel like, okay, I know you said this, but I'm going to say, 
Don't worry about it, all right? We're, we're looking at scripture together and we're trying to figure it out. All right, Aaron? Yeah, I'm not going to apologize for this. Um, no, I mean, you're saying, talking about what other people think, you know, doctors, nurses, um, at least at my hospital, that's part of our yearly training is they talk about, you know, giving reasonable accommodations or some religious practices. It's not unusual to see some very unusual things. Okay. Like, not common, not every patient, but, you know, things even non-Christian, like smudging or certain other, like, smokes, ashes, oils, um, massage, uh, different faith leaders coming in and praying over or doing things. That, that's not as unusual as you might think. Okay. As long as you announce what you were doing. Sure. <laughs> they're not going to ask any questions or act like it's super weird. And if nothing else, it may remind us that whatever practice we would do, if you were caring for someone in the hospital yourself or if elders would go, to be mindful of steering those people to a God that we believe can heal. But then probably also telling them, because they might hear that a lot, that we're trusting a God who is good, whether he heals or not. Um, but that's the kind of confidence we have, that he can heal, and that person could walk out of this hospital, or God in his goodness may do something else. Um, so to hear of the hospital scene there, it reminds us we walk into that testifying to who our God is. So whatever we're doing, make sure it's clear that we're representing him. All right, Paul, did you have your hand up? Uh, I don't know if I'm going to communicate this very effectively. So that disclaimer aside, um, spent some time wrestling with this this week and would say that I'm probably more in the metaphoric camp uh, or position as I've been reading just all the uses of oil throughout scripture and kind of thinking through that. But one of the things, kind of stepping away from that for a second, one of the things that I was really encouraged by and even challenged by in my own thinking was how oil is used in Scripture and how people viewed either themselves after being anointed or how others viewed other people after being anointed with oil. And I'm not, there are some additional uses of oil in the Bible, I'm kind of pushing those aside here, but... The, the oil of gladness, the um, causing their face to shine, this rising up sort of thing that was a position of blessing. Um, and I was thinking about how oil is an expression of a spiritual condition um, that how it challenges the elders to view the one who is... <coughs> trapped in sin as a blessed saint and challenges them to view them in that light, but then also challenges the person who is weakened in their faith and weakened in sin to view themselves as a blessed saint, mm -hmm. that they can rise up and their face can shine with the oil of gladness. Um, Metaphoric or not, or if the you know the five forty weight is going down, whatever it is, uh, that ultimately that it reflects your position in God, that God will raise you up, mm -hmm. um, that that is the confidence you have, that just like David mourning the loss of his child after his wandering into deep and grievous sin, that he put on the oil and rose up with the confidence that God will raise him up again. Um, and I think that that's just a beautiful reminder uh, to each one of us as well of a portion of what this means. It doesn't necessarily answer all the interpretation questions, um, but I was really blessed by that. Yeah, no, that's a really good, especially on a resurrection morning, to be thinking of the hope that rests in this passage that will save will raise up, will be forgiven. Um, it pulls in that whole Old Testament shalom, the, the wholeness, the wellness. Um, so yeah, be encouraged by God's promise that hangs out there. This is what he wants. He wants that peace and wellness. Daniel? Um, I'm still trying to decide whether Pennzoil or mobile is. Can you use um, the, the, the thing I, I came across in all of this conversation was that um, 
even doctors and medicines and methods of healing actually don't heal the body, they put it in a position to heal. Uh, in other words, no doctor can actually cure somebody of something, they, they actually put it in, they put the body in the position of being uh, able to heal. So I think the fundamental item that maybe gets lost in this conversation, is, it's like we're asking the Lord, are you going to heal or not? Well, that's the fundamental question. God is deciding constantly, I say deciding, he is in charge of and the only one in charge of healing. So when we seek the Lord to heal our bodies, that's the only ultimate ability to heal. Um, I think Roy talked about his father-in-law. Well, God was doing that healing and I think we also have to take into account Job when he says, you know, the Lord gave and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Whether he heals or not doesn't change um, fundamentally whether we apply oil or not. He's still in charge of all of that healing. Yeah, so if we were going to work at defining the prayer of faith, it's going to start with things like, blessed is the name of the Lord. Um, because outcomes aren't affecting his praiseworthiness. That's good. Okay, Mark. Um, I just want to say this uh, study the last two weeks has been really helpful and encouraging to me um, for a couple of reasons. One, one of what Paul said, and in my experience through all the years being in church, I haven't seen enough of that. If you look at the average prayer list, it's usually much more for physical things than, mm. than spiritual so sometimes I don't think that's emphasized enough. But also, my dad was a holiness pastor, uh, kind of Pentecostal without the tongues, and uh, he he had a vial of oil at his pulpit that was always there. So we grew up seeing the anointing of oil down at the altar regularly. And uh, so anyway, it's just been really interesting and encouraging. and. Uh, to your point, what you said last week about how many times have we actually seen healing. Today is my, my mother's 92nd birthday. She passed away when she was 60 from cancer. So, and certainly she was anointed with oil and lots of prayers of faith from her and on her behalf. But the Lord chose otherwise. And on Resurre Resurrection Sunday, we have the hope of... Mm -hmm. uh, seeing her again and complete healing. So anyway, it's just been really encouraging to look at this passage the way. Yeah, and it's good to hear that, like I, it sounds like your father, you know, applied this, what I would say, more consistently because I, I don't think it should have to be, you know, deathbed experiences as much as just prayer faith and the exercise of faith by the anointing. For him, yeah. I don't think it was, it wasn't this kind of this faith healing kind of thing that right. is modern. I think it was like what you said, just we're just going to obey what God's word right. says and just try to apply it in that way and, and trust the Lord. But. So hear that and just know like this, this can be really reasonable in whichever position you kind of land in. Um, surrounded by faith, we're, we just want to do what God wants us to do. And, and then we, having done what we can do, we push it all back into his court, literally his heavenly court with our praise and let him do what he's going to do. Um, who else? Questions? Yeah. I have an experience <laughs> and I want to share it because it's, um, it's kind of remarkable. And we, I think when we talk about healing, sometimes we need to think about with the anointing of oil and everything, uh, how it's going to witness. Uh, when Lucy was six years old, my daughter, um, she had bacterial meningitis. And when she got, when we got her to the hospital, the sugar levels in her brain were like at zero, almost zero. Uh, they said it was under one. And anyway, uh, we, they did the spinal tap and all the stuff they do for that illness. And they put her in a room and the next day, um, the elders from our church and uh, some other churches also that we knew, some of the pastors and things, 
came and prayed for her at the hospital. <coughs> they did anoint her with oil, but this was the witness, and I thought it was really remarkable. Um, she did get much better very quickly, and um, her the nurse that was working the floor that, that day, she came in after they all left, and she said to me, she said, I knew your little girl was going to be okay. As soon as I saw all of those people gathered around her bed, I walked by and I saw them through the window, and I knew that she was going to be okay. Because when you have people that are praying for, um, for someone, God does great things. And I thought, I wonder who else walked by and saw that there were people that really loved somebody enough to, to take their time and actually love the people that they fellowshiped with. It was a great testimony, and it went through the hospital because the woman that had been her ER doctor that night, she also remarked about it, and she said to me, and it was remarkable just in the fact that God set up the whole thing. That woman that was the ER doctor diagnosed her immediately because she had had a brother that had had meningitis, bacterial meningitis, eight times in his life. And had had, I think there was lots of complications. But she kept up with us because of that. And we had to take her back to the ER after my husband <coughs> passed away. And uh, she recognized the name and came out and talked to me. And it was just the oddest thing, the things that God does and the witness that you are to those that are around you uh, in just the smallest things that seem like, you know, that we can disagree about or whatever, but those are great things that God uses yeah. to speak to people. Well, take these thoughts. Um... Commit to being someone who rightly divides the word. The Spirit helps us with this. And in the context of sickness and healing and, and weighty needs, uh, we remember our God is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals our souls and even our bodies at times. Uh, we commit soul and body to him uh, in faith. And so, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word that bolsters our faith in your goodness, in your care for us as your people, in your good and wise plan for our lives. Uh, to, to think of uh, the experiences represented in this room, um, we just marvel uh, at the testimony of your wondrous works. Uh, give us faith to trust you when our minds... Uh, calculate what we think would be a, a better outcome. Um, we, want to, we want to see our lives and circumstances with the eye of faith. Um, so help us to trust you. Uh, and we know that we can do that uh, because you demonstrated your love to us in the giving of your son for us. And so we rejoice in him, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.